Footy Ado, the Delusional Soccer Podcast. Footy Ado, a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Okay, welcome in to Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. We're going to start things a little bit differently this week with Liverpool winning the title, finally, their first Premier League title. Um, we felt that it was it was best to get uh, to get talking on this with a Liverpool supporter. So we have uh, we've gone on, we've reached out to Nick Koloski of the LFC Couch, and he joins us today. How are you doing today, Nick? Not too bad from down under. How are you guys doing in the Big Apple? Uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, working on a on a bit of a time difference. You're it's late at night for you or early in the morning for me, but I'm glad we uh, were able to figure out a time to talk. That's it, man. It's the joys of technology these days, I guess, especially in the uh, the, the testing times we've had in the last few months. Technology has been uh, uh, sort of key for everything at the moment. Yeah, it, it, we wouldn't have been able to get through it without it. Um, it would have been a, a, a hell of a lot tougher, but I um, hope everything is, is going well down there for you guys. It seems to be going uh, a lot better down there as far as uh, coronavirus goes. Uh, a lot better down there than it is up here, but um, we don't need to get into the details of that. We'll talk how it relates to football a little bit, but... Um, so first off, just tell us where where we can find you and the and the pod on Twitter, and yeah yeah. So on Twitter, uh, we are just simply at uh, LFC Couch. So it's at LFC C O U C H. If my accent is easy to understand, um, and basically we've been going on for uh, many a year. Uh, Nish is pretty much the guy who started it, just having a chat about Liverpool FC and brought me along a few years ago uh, found me doing podcasts for my um my uh local australian league team so our equivalent a league to your mls and uh thought oh, he's a liverpool fan you know do you want to jump on went on and my background is audio so i have a good understanding of uh, how to use equipment and i've sort of been the uh the right hand man when it comes to production and things and just become a, a team member and now we're about i don't know maybe like eight plus strong um sydney england uh, well, I should say, sorry, Australia, England. Uh, we've also got a couple in um, uh, in uh, in um, Finland as well. So uh, we're pretty much um, uh, almost worldwide. And um, yeah, we just love chatting about uh, Liverpool FC. Uh, we've got diehard fans. We've got people from actual Liverpool. We've got uh, you know lifelong supporters, and it's just good to uh, finally uh, be able to celebrate the uh, the holy grail, if you will, of uh, English football once again, or for the first time for some of us in our lifetimes. Yeah, how long have you supported Liverpool? For me, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm 32 years old, so I was born in 88, so in pre-supporting Liverpool FC, we had won it a couple of times, but I didn't actually take note of Liverpool FC until I saw a certain youngster playing in the 98 World Cup for England, scoring a fantastic solo goal for England against Argentina, that'd be Michael Owen. And I thought, yeah, it's a 16, 17-year-old kid. Meanwhile, I'm 10 years old at the time. And I thought, yeah, let's see where he plays. And you start to learn about world football and who plays where. And I wasn't that big on the English Premier League at the time. I was more of a Italian Serie A fan because we had Ronaldo playing there, Batistuta, Fiorentina, and things like that with the great AC Milan teams that my family sort of grew up watching. And as soon as I took notice of Michael Owen, I started to fall in love with Liverpool FC, and it's been since yeah since about '98 that um, I've been a, I've been a Red. Well, there you go. Yeah. So you know you you've had a couple uh, European cups to lift, but this is this is the first time uh, that even you know you as a fan can see uh, Liverpool winning the league, um, and it's the first time they've won it uh, since the since the Premier League began. So just kind of sum up how it feels to finally watch Liverpool win this this title that has seemed to elude them for so long. i tell you what, for myself, I'm not sure if I sort of speak on behalf of all the other guys, but based on our celebrations over the last few days, I think it's a relief for all of us. But all those near misses in the 90s, in the 2000s, even in the last, you know, five plus years, I mean, last year we thought... 
97 points and still nothing. You're thinking, is this thing ever going to come back to Anfield? Are we cursed to just never win this title that we once, you know, just won every year by default, it seems. Mm -hmm. And I think to finally win something like this in the manner that we've won it as well, I think just goes to show how far we've come as a club, as a team, and also as a supporter base because I've seen... 96,000 people cram into the Melbourne cricket ground in in Melbourne, Victoria, when Liverpool did their tour in um, pre-13-14 season where we came close again, you know, missing out by a couple of points to to Man City with the uh, infamous Gerrard situation. But 96,000 strong and, and you just have a real grasp of the hold that this team has, not just in Australia but around the world, and I think for us to finally say that, you know what, it's been 30 years, but damn, what a way to actually bring it home after so long. I think it was just relief for everyone. It's like we've vanquished demons of past. We've achieved everything we probably wanted to. You know, we'd been European champions a couple of times already. FA Cups, we've won the, you know, the, the Europa League, or whatever it was called back in 2001. And you know, Carling Cups and things like that, Charity Shields. But the Premier League was the one thing we needed to sort of say, yeah, we are definitely back in business. And I think it was just, for myself anyway, it was just a lot of um, a lot of relief. It was like weight lifted off, off my shoulders, even though I have no part in, in, in the actual pitch activities or, or the hard work that management does or the players. But it just felt like every Liverpool fan at full time at Stamford Bridge just sort of just let out a sigh of relief a relief and just said to ourselves we've we've done it we've finally done it you know we're back in it and uh, i think it was just massive for for all liverpool fans around the world yeah and you know getting that monkey off your back is huge and it's um it's almost ironic um especially for for me someone who's uh vastly into american sports knowing that you know fenway sports group which you know you know they own they own Liverpool and they went through their own uh their own drought which lasted much much longer so you're you got to be happy that it uh it didn't go as long as the Red Sox went without winning a World Series title but um it's kind of just ironic how how that group has has seen that happen to two of their teams and now now that the Red Sox got that monkey off their back they've won I believe three since since that curse ended so um obviously the hope uh, for Liverpool is that is that it would be the same now um you know I have been critical of Liverpool um in recent years just because you know I I thought that they were like even last year it's tough to be critical of a team that gets 97 points but um I really thought that that they were going to push on and win the title. And then when the that result against Man City in February didn't go the way they wanted with just the finest of margins, um, I was like, I really thought they should have gotten there and sh- thought they should have won the title. They had a, a, a decent lead, um, albeit with City having games in hand. But watching Liverpool win the title, I even as an Arsenal supporter right now, I have nothing but good feelings towards Liverpool watching them win this title because... Even going back and comparing it to American sports again, I'm a New York Mets fan. We haven't won a World Series in my lifetime. They haven't won since 1986. Um, and watching the players, watching the fans, even ownership, the the coaches, watching them celebrate winning this title, getting that monkey off the back for the entire city of Liverpool, for the entire global organization, is just it's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, when when John Henry and, and Fenway Sports came in and bought us out after the failed and, and massive joke that was the um, Hicks and Gillette era, uh, that by, even they stated themselves, you know, we want to bring Liverpool back to the top. We did it with the Boston Red Sox. It took them, you know, what, you know, something like 80-odd years or uh-huh. something, something stupid like that. And like you said, they've won a few World Series since then. And with Liverpool, it probably took a little bit longer than expected. You're thinking... Okay, 13-14's come in. Yeah, we, we came close. Next season, we sold some of our best players. We faltered again. Manager goes. New manager comes in. It's a whole new project to start over again. But I think with Fenway Sports, I think getting the right manager for the squad, 
was uh, was a very vital part of it. And I think when Jurgen Klopp what became available after he left Dortmund, everyone it, it was on everyone's lips even from when before the season started. You know, we should go for Klopp. It was like let's give Rogers time. It only lasted a couple of um, you know, only lasted a couple of of months and then Klopp came in and since then it was always again Liverpool don't do well in finals uh, or Klopp doesn't do well in finals we lost the Europa League 3-1 to Sevilla after taking the lead we lost 3-1 in the Champions League against Real Madrid but the mentality and and, to use an overused term that I I actually hate using the character of, of this team and this squad to actually say you know you know what screw that we lost this year. We're not losing next year. Champions League winning mentality. Bang in it comes. Again, same thing. We lost last season. We're not losing this season. Bang coming in. Twenty five points in March. You pra- practically won it. And I think the consistency now in saying that, like as you said, like Mets haven't won it in so long. Boston hadn't won it in so long. Now they've won a few. I think that's now the aim. Now that we've hit that that peak, that the top is there. We're at the the, the most top we've ever been in 30-odd years. I mean, we, you can say Champions Leagues are, are fantastic, and don't get me wrong, 100% they are. I celebrated like we'd won the Premier League when we won the Champions League last season. But to say you're champions of Europe, but you can't even be champions of your own league, I think that sort of is a bit of a, um, it's a, bit of a letdown in, in terms of saying, well, how good really are you if you can beat teams one-off, but to do it consistently week in, week out. I think that's that's something fantastic and, and that's got to go down to not just the owners but the management as well. And and the group of players, I mean, let's be real, some of them came from relegation squads, some of them were, uh, uh, you know, uh, left out of their squads and, and rendered useless and they've come in and they've just become a whole bunch of superstars. Yeah, it's, a, it's an in- incredible team that has been built at Liverpool and it's just something that, you know, the... The, the clubs in England that aren't, you know, you take away the Man Cities, you know, the, the Chelsea's who can kind of just spend whatever money they want. It, you look at Liverpool and that's how you build a squad. You got Andy Robertson from a relegated hole and he's one of the best left backs in the world. You have on the other side at fullback, you have a, a local a local boy coming through and trying Alexander-Arnold. You did splash a lot of money on Allison and Virgil van Dijk, but those were the missing pieces that you needed to kind of put this team together and finally um, and finally reach the heights that you've reached. Um, so it's it's just it, it, they've done a fantastic job from from the top down at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you got to credit the the owners for backing Klopp and and also Michael Edwards and the rest of the uh, team doing the behind the scenes work as well. Because even when you've got a player like Salah, who Klopp was a little bit fifty fifty over, they said, no, 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 trust us, this guy is gonna do what you want him to do. He comes in, bang, standout season. He was dubbed a you know a one season wonder. He did it again last year. He's done it again this year. I mean, it, it just goes to show that with the right recruitment, you can achieve greatness. And yeah, we don't, like, people will say we've got the money, but we don't have the sort of maybe spending power of a Man City that, that I currently have or what Chelsea used to back in the day or United, um, you know, under the Glazers when Sir Alex was there, you know, about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So with us, we really have to be particular with the players that we spend money on. And perfect example we've seen with Virgil van Dijk. It was a year before he actually came to Liverpool and there was, it was, why don't, why don't we just get someone else? Just get someone else. No, we don't want anyone else. This is the guy. I know this is the player I need. I'm not getting anyone else except this guy. They persisted. They got him. Same thing with Allison. We put five past him, well, not five, seven realistically with the return leg in the Champions League semifinals when we played Roma mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So we put seven past him and we still signed him. And, and maybe some other team would have thought, well, if we scored five past him, why would we want a player we just absolutely you know, shredded home and away? But Klopp saw something in Allison, and management saw something in him as well, brought him in, big money, and then... Kepa comes in for Chelsea with you know, at a higher cost, so that sort of takes the burden off Allison being the most expensive goalkeeper, and and he's performed no, no doubt. And you know if it wasn't for his fantastic last minute saves against Napoli uh, in the uh, in the return leg uh, last season uh, or the season before, whenever it was, you know to to pretty much 
win us the game if it wasn't for Van Dyke's cool collectiveness at the back. And not just that, you've got to remember the spine, the, the spine down the middle as well. Fabinho's come in for you know modest amount of money from Monaco, which no one actually saw coming. I mean, I, I don't even think I heard the, the the name Fabinho uttered before we saw him come into the squad last year. We've also seen someone like um, uh, like uh, Minamino come into the squad recently because Klopp sees something in, in Minamino that that he might be able to do a job to assist Roberto Firmino. And it's things like that. And you also have to remember the the players who have been at the squad. Jordan Henderson, I mean, I, I was one of his biggest critics. Not because I hate him as a player, but the role he had at, at, at Liverpool at the time, I thought it wasn't his best. But man, in the last three, four seasons, this guy has absolutely stepped up to the plate and he's now a Liverpool legend. I mean, he's won four major honours in the space of, what, one, one to two years and the big one that even, you know, the great Steven Gerrard uh, unfortunately couldn't. So, I mean, it goes to show you, you, if you're sensible with your money and you trust your manager and your manager knows what he's looking for, you will definitely be able to succeed. And I, I just see it at the moment with some other clubs where, not to divert away from Liverpool, but with other clubs at the moment, it's like they just get a big money player for the sake of getting a big money player. It doesn't always work out. And then you've got you know, money that you forked out, a player doesn't gel with the squad, you've got issues with the manager, and it doesn't really work out. And we've seen what's happened in the past with like Sanchez and, and Pogba and things like that you know, through seasons past. So I think it is important to, to get the right players to, to fit your, your system and giving it time as well. You can't expect success overnight. I mean, this has been a work in progress over the last you know four to five years. Yeah, and you talk about Jordan Henderson, and that's a player who, you know, he was given the captain's armbands, um when Gerard uh, left and that kind of, you know, not, not because that, that was a little bit criticized, not because of his leadership skills, but like you said, like he was playing in a role that really didn't, it, it, it you couldn't get the best out of him. And, you know, he's dealt with injuries over, uh, over the past couple of years, but I mean, captain of Liverpool, Liverpool football club, he's lifted the, the champions league. He's lifted the premier league, the club world cup, you know, you're, you're, Currently, the holder of the Premier League now, the Champions League, the, you're the Club World Cup champions. How like how good does it feel just to be at the pinnacle of football? Whether it's it's in the world, it's in all of Europe, but now it's of course in the Premier League. You're at the top. Like, can you? Is there any way to sum that up in words? Best football team in the land. Best football team in Europe. Best football team in the world. I mean, when you hold all those world titles, all the titles rather, I mean, what else can you say? You, you literally play for a cup that says world club champions and you're, you're a world club champion. You play for your, you know, your home nations league, you're your premier league champion. You play for the European cup. Some would say that's the biggest trophy to win in world football. But as I said, you know, no shine off that. If you can't, it's always seen, or for me anyway, if you can't dominate your own league, and win a Champions League, are you really that good? Yeah, I've always thought about it that way. It seems funny you can be the best in, in Europe, but you can't even be the best in your in, in your own league. So, But to have all four of them at once at the moment, I, I think technically we're still the holders of the Champions League, so we've been the longest-running uh -huh. holders in, in, in Champions League history, and we've been the, um, the earliest and latest winners of the Premier League as well. So, you know, some records yet to, still to be broken, but... For Henderson, I think we're all just absolutely buzzed for him because he he's he came as a box-to-box -box midfielder. Then he was shifted as a number six. Then when Fabinho comes in, he slowly comes into the squad. Then Henderson's played a little bit on the right or he he, he moves again from defense to attack and, and things like that. And to have a player like Henderson who hasn't sort of said, well, yeah, maybe I'm not good enough. He said, screw that. I'm going to show everyone that I am good enough and I'm, I'm going to lead this team out to victory. We're going to go all the way with the other 10 on the pitch, with the other you know seven on the bench, the rest of the squad who we all train with week in, week out. We're going to do this together. And it is very much a team effort. I mean, we've seen the player celebration as soon as they won. They're singing, you know, show me love. I'm feeling it. Klopp's doing some weird dancing moves from like 1995 or whatever the hell he was doing. And, and there's just such a cohesion that there's such a, a unity in the squad that you think that this would not have been possible if it wasn't for the guidance of a captain, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, because we, we are pretty much a harmonious squad. 
Yeah, you definitely need that leadership. Um, it's it it can go unnoticed at times, but it's it's something that you know has to keep the squad together to you know fight and win these games over such a long period of time. And you know, like you said, you've got the sprint of the Champions League a couple times, but now the marathon of the Premier League has been won. Um, just a couple more questions. I won't take uh, too much more of your time, but I do want to get onto the angle of you know kind of having to win it in an empty stadium um winning in an empty stadium definitely not what you envisioned um now for you being living in australia it's not quite the angle of you know someone who's a season ticket holder and has been waiting for 30 years to see this but still it's got to be a little bittersweet to to not be able to see all the fans celebrating with with the team um you know and I, even though they, they didn't win the title in one of their own games. But it's still, you know, the next game, it would have been a celebration with the fans. Um, so what is that? What? How do you see it from that angle? Is it bittersweet at all, or are you just not even really paying any attention to it because we can't really do much about it? Yeah, it's not something you can actually say I would have chosen to have preferred this. I mean, in hindsight now, thinking about it, I if we had still fans in stadiums i would have loved it to have been you know what we've got one game left let's say city beat chelsea we got one game we beat city we're premier league champions what a way to win it away to the current holders who you missed out by a point last season and you're 23 points ahead at the moment or or 21 points or whatever it would have been but in saying that i think it was probably a bit more of a a personal reflective relief because I mean, the way I watched it, I watched the second half of the game on, on the Friday morning, and as soon as full-time hit, it was 2-1, I just laid in bed, and I just thought to myself, man, this is over, we've done it. And I just thought about it, and not just myself, but everyone else that I've spoken to, the rest of the couch team as well, we all just overcame with emotion. It was like, it was like finding out the happiest of, uh, the happiest of news but reacting it, reacting to it in a sad way, if that makes sense. So it's like you found out something bad's happened, and then you just shed a tear in in silence. But it was more so of joy because it was such a relief that this is real. This this has this has literally just happened. It was inevitable. It was going to happen. Like I said, twenty five points ahead in March. Realistically, we weren't going to get six points out of nine games. I don't think so. Even if City had beaten Chelsea, we only needed two points. Had we drawn away to City, we draw away somewhere else, or City dropped more points, it would have been ours one way or another. So it's not to say that Chelsea won us the league, but they sure as hell sped it up for us. But for the fans, we've seen the celebrations in Liverpool. We've seen the celebrations all all around the world. I mean, I I said this to, to the group as well. I said... You know, even with like restrictions and distancing and all that sort of stuff, it's human nature. It's hard to tell a human being who sort of you know works off um, uh, what's what I'm looking for. Sort of works off compassion and empathy and understanding to just you know you can't just high five someone and say yeah we did it. It's everyone just comes together, they embrace. It's just a human thing, and not having anyone in the stands, I think this was probably their way of sort of making it as though they were there, and I do hope that by the time the last game of the season comes, oddly enough, against Chelsea, I hope that we can actually have people in the stadium to some capacity to give the players, you know, the love that they definitely deserve and i'm sure the players will appreciate the fans being there as well to sort of say thank you for being along with us you know 30 plus years kids who have never seen liverpool win the league people who were were kids when they last won the league who are now taking their kids to to see you know hopefully another dynasty in action so for the fans it, it probably was bittersweet but at the same time i don't think anyone really cares we've won it that's the main thing and this, and I just have to say, the whole asterisk thing, oh, it's a tainted title. It's not really, you know, well-earned. It's like, it is well-earned. It wasn't null, void, and or hand Liverpool the title because they're so far ahead. We still had to play for it. We yeah. still had to perform on the pitch. So other teams still have to do their thing too. So it's not to say it was just given to us. We definitely earned that throughout the whole season. And I think everyone can just eat their own words. And, and that's years of banter 
that other fans have lived off who now they've turned into the history uh, channel where it's like yeah but we've won it this many times and you know we've got this many trophies and it's like look look at you you've turned into us you know what i mean like don't get mad get even yeah you, they you've, need- they've turned into exactly what they have criticized liverpool supporters of doing for <laughs> exactly. for a few years exactly. and the, the talk of an asterisk is absolutely absurd it's not like you had a one-point lead and you know city were really in great form and then football stopped and liverpool kind of used that to no you you guys were ahead by so much that it, it's it's just completely ridiculous um to even think that you could put an asterisk here um yeah. <laughs> but i mean if anything celtic would have had that yeah. i mean rangers would have felt a little bit more hard done by in the scottish league because they they gave the league to celtic and mm-hmm. th- that would have been a little bit unfair because i mean th- that was a bit of a gap but nowhere near 20 plus points yeah and you know like they in in france they crowned psg champions now their gap was pretty pretty decent i believe i think it was in double digits um yeah without looking at it but still it's that's that's where you think oh well that's an asterisk if if we had to do the null and void, or if we had to do you know the season ends here, we'll do it by uh, points per game because some of the teams haven't played as much. Then you would, even then, you had a, a a pretty big lead, but the asterisk talk would only hold up for so long in that situation because of that lead. Now um, we'll end it on a uh, on a a happier note here. First, who is your player of the season? Oh, that is an absolute tough one. Um, I think the obvious one would probably be to give it to maybe like a Mane or or even uh, maybe a Salah, but I I do have to say Henderson. I mean that guy's been immense not just this season but seasons gone by, and we know Van Dyke was the PFA Player of the Year. I think he might have been our our Player of the Season as well last year. But I think Jordan Henderson, just based on everything that he's done in the last few years and especially during this season as well. I think it, it, you can't go past giving it to Jordan Henderson. Just, just sheer will, determination to to rise up and be the best he can be, lead this team to victory, which he has done, and and he goes to show that you know with hard work and determination, you know a fan base will appreciate you. So it, it's not easy, but there there is a way to get to the top. And I think for me, Jordan Henderson has to be. I like that answer. Um, that's that's where I've been leaning, but you know, there's so many players on that team that that could take it. So um, I'll be interested to see who who does walk away with the the end of season awards. Um, but even it, even all those players that that could be considered are going to be in the team of the year at least. So they will be recognized. Um, and then just next season and beyond, City are going to improve their squad because they can spend a ridiculous amount of money. Chelsea, we already knew they were bringing in Ziyech, um, and they added Werner, who we thought could be headed to Liverpool, so that didn't happen. Man United, they're going to be looking to get a lot out of Bruno Fernandes in a full season, see if they keep Pogba, if those two can play well together. Um, and they they may add um, some star power to that team. So do you think Liverpool can repeat uh, as Premier League champions next season? Uh, well, we know how hard it is to win a back-to-back um, league. You know, it's only been done so many times. You know, United done it a couple of times. City done it most recently. And, I mean, clearly Pep is not happy that, you know, Liverpool have not just beaten him, but beaten him well without really spending the amount of money that Pep spent. Now, it, yes, we have spent money, but it has been, let's pay f- 50 mil on Rodri, we'll pay you know, 60 mil on this person, we'll play you know, 60 mil on that player, and it's not like that with us. I mean, a perfect example with Timo Werner, uh, I forgot to mention it before, he was heavily linked to us, it was almost dead set he was going to join Liverpool, but for whatever reason it didn't happen, and Klopp's like, well, if I'm not going to get Werner, I'm not going to just go for anyone else, I'm going to wait and see what else is available. And like Peter... Kafina says on our on our show he's actually a football coach and a mad Steven Gerrard fanatic and loves Roberto Firmino and Van Dijk I think that guy would just have a field day if he ever met them um, but he says as well he goes what made Sir Alex Ferguson great was he never just bought like five players at a time it was always a one player during this off during the um, preseason two players during the next season 
ship one off, bring one in during the January transfer window. It was always little bits and pieces like that. And that sort of seems to be what Klopp is doing. So, so long as we can maintain momentum and still add to the squad without reducing quality, I think definitely we can push for it. I, I, I don't know whether we have what it takes to win it back-to-back because of pretty much just City being City plus Chelsea coming into it as well. You never know, Lampard's had a decent season. As you said, United, if Pogba stays, if Fernandez keeps playing, whether they're going to increase their squad as well, see what's going to happen on their end. You know, Sancho apparently is going to end up somewhere in the Premier League. Tottenham... I mean, Tottenham have sort of fallen off a little bit, but that's Jose Mourinho for you. Um, Arsenal, um, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. They still need some bits and pieces going on. So there are still teams in the mix, but when it comes to it, I think at the moment, if you're going to have to pick who's going to battle out, it's going to be City and Liverpool again. And, and you know, depending on how the season starts and depending on who comes into the squad, we'll, we'll see what happens. But we've seen the greatest teams have been those that have kept you know a, a similar squad throughout the seasons without changing too much so if you can keep three quarters of that same squad together i think you're in with, with, with a chance well nick thanks for coming on we appreciate you taking the time out of your out of your day to talk to us um and you know once again congratulations to you and everyone over at the lfc couch for this this premier league title um go keep on enjoying it you've got seven more games to play um and you know you just gotta, just gotta you know soak it up. It's it's gonna be a, a a fun run. The guards of honor is gonna help you, help you remember that you are you are at the top. Oh, I can't wait for that city guard of honor. I'm telling you, <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. you. Yeah, you take it easy. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll send my best to the uh, lads. And um, yeah, thank you once again. And um, hopefully, Arsenal, for your sake, do um, do well as well. Um, yeah, maybe if not this season, maybe next season. Yeah, we're we're at the we're at the beginning of the project, like Liverpool were. So, yeah. Once again, that was Nick Koloski from the LFC Couch. You can find their podcast at LFC Couch on Twitter. Um, We're going to go to a quick ad break, and when we come back, Jared will rejoin. We'll talk a little bit about the other Premier League matches and, of course, some FA Cup action. Enjoying Footy You Do? If you're a fan of Zach and Jared's, you're going to love another Iltoe production, Banana Land. Each week, we'll talk about socially dystopian topics that are sure to get you talking. Topics like the Mandela Effect, what your tombstone will say, or even the origins of mankind. There's something for everyone. Sounds interesting, right? Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and stream wherever you listen to podcasts. is a better way to reintroduce the podcast than than just doing this it. Podcast's you know, been on for thirty minutes, man. I, that's why I said reintroduce. We've gone to the ad break, had a great discussion with Nick Koloski from the LFC Couch, and now it's time to bring in the uh, bring in the reliever, the B team, the B team. Choice two. You're always you're always choice two at, at best. That's fine. That puts less stress on me. That's fair. In terms of what I need to bring to the podcast. Let's uh let's get right into it. Let's start with some FA Cup action. A enthralling match between uh Norwich City and Manchester United. A couple of crap goals, but United are through thanks to a 118th minute goal from Harry Maguire. Certainly the most dramatic game. I mean, you look at overall though, the quarterfinals, the quality was was lackluster. Yeah, this round it was. Um, you know, the city game wasn't exciting. Could be part of heavy rotation. Um, yeah, uh, at this point, Leicester Chelsea definitely had a was 
was lower in quality than you'd expect. Um, we had, we we sat and watched the Arsenal Sheffield game. That game didn't have that much excitement until the eighty seventh minute. Until the eighty seventh minute, yeah. Um, and then of course the game we're talking about here, even with extra time and the dramatic finish, it just felt lacking a bit for me. Yeah, um, but but I mean the teams you want to make it from a neutral standpoint get through. Um, I mean Norwich. If Norwich gets through, they're gonna they're gonna play Manchester City. <laughs> Manchester City will draw Norwich somehow. Um, but I mean it, it. Norwich season has been such a has been such a struggle. Uh, it would have been nice to see them get through, especially with that that uh, great goal from Todd Cantwell. And they were down to ten men. And it seemed like they were going to hold on for at least penalties, which you know you give them. Obviously, United have that quality edge over them, but anything can happen. Tim Krul, obviously in goal, famous for that uh, penalty shootout in the World Cup where he was subbed on by former United manager uh, Louis Van Hall. Uh, so that would have been exciting to see. It was kind of disappointing to see the game end the way that it did, and both goals for United seemed more down to Norwich's inability to truly clear the ball. Yeah. Um, if you look at the stats of this game, the team that should have won did win. Um, although they only put eight shots on target, Manchester United, in attacking sense, took 37 shots. Now we need to discuss why Manchester United's attack could only put eight shots on target out of 37. Um, Norwich's only shot on target was Todd Cantwell's goal, um, which beat Sergio Romero. But, um, you know, the the red card in the 88th minute was a was the correct call, but, you know, uh, it didn't really play much of a part there right at the end of regular time, but extra time they had to go the full way. And they almost got there. They almost got through the full half hour um, down to 10 men and without conceding, but kind of a, a little bit of a blunder in front of the goal. Ball bounces around. Harry Maguire finds it slots at home and it's it's as easy as that and when you have a team that's as talented as United are you're gonna have that where a, a center back is gonna be the one to to score yeah a scrap like that you do have to expect United to have 40 minutes with an extra man on the worst team in the Premier League um you have to expect them to score yeah um you know it's almost crazy that they didn't and that it took a Harry Maguire goal off a scramble in the box that Norwich didn't deal with properly, but they should be scoring. They should be winning. They shouldn't be letting that go to penalties. They shouldn't be letting it go to extra time in the first place, but, you know, it's the FA Cup, like you said, rotation, and just overall, just, you know, we're also dealing with, we're still coming back from, you know, the the break from... Oh, yeah, we're... We're still the, the, these players are still finding their feet. We the restart only happened twelve days ago. And even if you get a match where it's like, oh, United, their their first eleven started to find their groove. Once you rotate, you still have those backups and stuff like that who are coming yeah. in who aren't necessarily fully back uh, into that groove just yet. Yeah. Um, now moving on to the first match of Sunday slate, Arsenal. Sheffield, um, Arsenal get through thanks to a 91st minute goal from Danny Ceballos. Just his second goal um, this season on loan from Real Madrid, of course. But it was uh, a little bit eventful. A couple disallowed goals for offsides for Sheffield in the first half. Um, then a penalty. Um, I believe Basham gave away the penalty, uh, taking down Lacazette right on the edge of the area. Um, Lacazette. With a heavy touch, Basham didn't need to didn't need to go into the challenge, but did. Um, and Pepe scored the penalty. But 87th minute, David McGoldrick um, finds the net to equalize. So we think, oh, here we go, extra time. But uh, Ceballos gets in behind the defense. Um, forgive me, I'm not thinking of the left-back's name off the top of my head. Um, I think it was Stevens um, who followed Pepe as Ceballos kind of took the ball off of him mm-hmm. from a tight angle as Dina Henderson tries to come out and, and get in the way. 
he just can't do enough. And yeah, good uh, finish from a tight angle too. And so. Arsenal, Arsenal get through. Um, another kind of lackluster performance from them um, after the restart. Things really just haven't looked great for Arsenal thus far, but um, they'll be they'll be happy to get to a semifinal regardless of of the draw that they were they were given. It was going to be a tough match. Um, in which Arsenal could have drawn any of the teams in the semifinal and would be considered the underdog. Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, Arsenal play well at Wem- Wembley. They do. You know, we've seen a couple of years ago where we wouldn't have expected them to to really be favorites for the trophy. Tottenham, Chelsea, and City all had good years, and uh, Chelsea beat Tottenham, and then Arsenal beat Pep City, and then beat Conte's title-winning uh, Chelsea at Wembley. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit different of a atmosphere that, that that they're going to be going into, considering it'll be an empty stadium. That'll be interesting to see. But um, you know, anything can happen. These these cup semifinals, these cup finals. I mean, look at last year. Watford made the final, so like, yeah. you have to think. The semifinals last year were City, who won it, Brighton, Watford, and Wolves. Right. So anything can happen. Arsenal clearly, yes, they are the underdogs at this point. Um, but that's the magic of the FA Cup sometimes. That it is. Um, now Chelsea beat Leicester, and it was a one nil uh, win for Frank Lampard's side. Like you like you mentioned right when we started talking, though, kind of a just non-eventful. Um, Lampard. I think the biggest talking point is Lampard making a triple substitution at halftime. Which Ross Barkley, after the match, said that he told players that they were not worthy of wearing the badge. Um, so, you know, you you would have to think that that really galvanized the team to to go on mm-hmm. and get this win. Considering Ross Barkley was one of the players who did come on and he scores the only goal in the match. Yeah, and I think that's also we'll see how that that um, how that continues to to push the squad, not just something that will be beneficial in that game, but you have three young players, Mason Mount, uh, Billy Gilmore, Reese James. Mason Mount, who's a regular part of the team, has been playing, uh, you know, pretty decent since the the restart. But, you know, Gilmore and Reese James either haven't been in the squad or made small appearances and, and didn't look up to the level that they were before the break. Uh you know, so it's not going to be as easy as maybe people have thought for them to get into this team or to become the 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 main guys moving forward, especially going into next year. So that that's big for them, the guys who got taken out also, to be told like that, to be galvanized like that, to, to sort of you know, like hopefully galvanize let's, them. Let's see the, yeah, let's, let's see, see the next the performance. Gal- yeah, from let's, them. See how, let's, let's see how that affects them in training. Um, and, you know, because we have no idea how, the the break has affected some of these players how their how their attitude has been towards you know their fitness or you know just just um, being in top form ready to come back maybe they weren't even expecting to come back who knows what sort of it's a weird sort of psychological yeah just because you you can say you're ready you're ready you're ready but deep down you might not be um, psychologically right Right. so Um, and I think Lampard did make the right call because you know that, that first ten minutes although Chelsea did settle in later in the first half, the first 10 minutes of the game, they were all over the place. Yeah. They were just awful, and Leicester did not um, take their chances when mm-hmm. they when they should have. Yeah, yeah, Leicester were all over in the first 20, 20 minutes or so, and it, it was, you know, two of the midfielders get subbed out. You have Gilmore and Mount, and it's the midfield, Gilmore, Mount, and Conte, which is a midfield that hasn't really played together before. Gilmore has, you know, before the break, had two man of the match performances, but he's playing. He would be playing in that deeper role when that happens. Now that Conte is occupying that, he was not, and it just it didn't look as as solid. And I mean, who knows? Like Gilmore, you have to wonder, you know, like he had two man of the match performances, and then everything stops, and then hasn't played. You, know, you come in, Reese James was starting to establish himself as a regular in the side. Um, but he had a rough game against Bayern in the Champions League before the break. So like, there's also that, and then you're not playing for a while. Um, yeah, it's just a wonder to, you know, see how this type of stuff affects them. How they, but like maybe maybe now, you know, it was almost surprising to not see them until this point 
to start because they were becoming such an important part. But obviously, Lampard sees something in training, and I think he's been proven right in those decisions. I think the little that we've seen of Gilmore and Reese James, obviously Lampard saw that they weren't up to it um, mm-hmm. in training, and that's why they haven't really been featuring. But you know, maybe this will give them a boost that they need. Now the final match of the quarterfinal um, yesterday afternoon, Man City to Newcastle Mill, and Dwight Gale had a chance to make this one a game, and uh, he he did something that everyone is afraid of doing. It's yeah. your biggest nightmare as a striker. On the edge of the six-yard box, the ball is squared to you. You basically have an open net yeah, to can. slot this home yeah. and you put it over the bar. Yeah. And uh, Dwight Gale who scored over the weekend. Yeah. You know, so you had to have some confidence going into the game. Yeah, and City go on. They get a second. Um, De Bruyne, of course, got the first from the penalty spot. Um, Sterling gets the second. And um, they were the better side. They had 75% of the ball, so um, it's one of those things where it's you know another you know they deserve to get through, but Newcastle really could have made this a game if if Gale would have uh, finished that chance. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been. Uh, this was probably the most straightforward. Probably at least it, there was no. I mean, at least with Leicester Chelsea, it was a one goal difference, and um, it was just Leicester not getting back into it. This is sort of the game where it's like that would have been the chance to actually make this one have some sort of excitement. Um, but, I mean, we all expected City to, to come through. Um, and now we have... We have a solid solid semifinal setup. We do. Um, the FA Cup semifinal draw, um, It it's Manchester against London in, in each one. So we have Man United facing Chelsea and Arsenal facing Man City. So we have the chance of a... Manchester London final or a Manchester Derby or a London Derby. So um, it's going to be either way that final on August 1st will be exciting. The semifinals, of course, will be played on the weekend of July 18th and 19th. Um, the dates have not yet been confirmed. I believe we have to wait for the Premier League dates for that week to be confirmed before we'll uh, we'll see which day the uh, those those fixtures end up on. Um, but looking at the Premier League, um, coming up, you know, today there's football. There's Crystal Palace and Burnley tomorrow. There's one game. Wednesday, there's four. It's just every single day. How are you kind of liking the every single day? Is it tough to keep up for you? Because for me, it definitely is. Yeah, I didn't even realize there were games today. Um, it also just... We had talked about it so much this season about how there was always like a big game. Almost always there was a big game on the weekend. Now it's a little bit different. It's like, oh, who's playing? Oh, it's, you know, Crystal Palace Burnley is a in- pretty interesting game to me. But like, you know, it's like, oh, Newcastle, Norwich. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. You know, nothing against that. It's nice games. outside. I'm going to get... Yeah, like I'll, like I'll, you know, or I'll get work done. You know, like there's other things I can do. Um Whereas, but it is nice to always have something if, like, you yeah. know, you have that opportunity. Oh, okay, well, I don't know. I feel like just putting something on in the background. Okay, put on Crystal Palace Burnley and have that on. Just, it's nice to have sports back. Um, it's almost like I kind of wish, you know, it it would be better if the if these games are on later. Obviously, they're not going to be at the time. Just because yeah. I feel like at night is like when you kind of want. Like, obviously, no American sports are back besides what women's soccer. I believe so. Just yeah, yeah. the, the so, NWSL tournament. Yeah, right. So we don't have that ability to watch. We don't get nighttime primetime sports uh, at the moment. Which, like, that would be something I would be more inclined to put on if it was on. Like, yeah, the the NWSL tournament has had issues with star players not not being involved. Tobin Heath, Megan Rapinoe, like the, a lot of the 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 big names have opted out. So, um, the the draw is not as high for you know, say for a fan of the U.S. Women's National Team. There are still some of the stars that are playing, but um, yeah, like you said, we don't we we don't have the usual prime time. You know, baseball is coming back. The NFL is talking about oh, starting on time. That's seems ridiculous, but 
it might happen. We'll what, see. What time is the game on? What time does it start? Palace and Burnley? Yeah. Uh, it starts at 3 p.m. today. Yes. Could, yeah, I might put, I don't know, I might put it on. If I'm like, doing nothing, I'll have it on. Right, like right I'm now, not I got going to actively, to do, so I'm not, gonna put I'm not planning my day around Crystal yeah, Palace and, yeah, exactly. that's, and Burnley. That's the sentiment. But yeah. uh, the big match this week is Man City and Liverpool on Thursday. Obviously, Liverpool have already won the title. They will get the guard of honor at the Etihad. Um, Pep has confirmed that. We've know, we know there's been um, a little bit of, I guess, non-sportsmanship sh- shown in La Liga. Um, over the past couple of years, Barcelona won the title and Real Madrid refused to give them the guard of honor when they played. So, um, Why? What is that about? I don't know. I know it's like a rivalry. What does it like, do? But, but just like do it like you just you lost just do your thing you don't look so, like sore losers because of it who knows man who knows but um, I think uh, I think that's it for us this week Jared thank you for joining me for this 45 seconds of I FA love, Cup I love always guest spotting on our own podcast being a guest on your own podcast it's humbling yet you, there's no responsibility it's great yeah follow us on Twitter and uh, Instagram at footy do. Also on Twitter at Ilto8Prod and Instagram at Ilto8Productions. we got to figure that out. We need to fix that. We say that every week. We remember every week when we're recording this outro that we need to fix it. Footy that do. happens on Cue the Banter also. <laughs> what do you do is, of course, an Ilto8 production. Um, but, Jared, as always, pardon our French. Pardon our French.